podcast produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburrow and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week, we continue our final part of the conversation about justice. Hey everyone, so if you listened last week, we had a long conversation, so long in fact we made it a two-parter. We talked about liberal and libertarian forms of justice based in um, fairness and in freedom. And this week we are going to take a look at postmodern forms of justice rooted in power. And so join us as we continue this conversation. So anyway, we, we've talked quite a lot about liberal. Let's let's go for the postmodern, right? Yeah. And so characterize this a little bit, talk about this. So for postmodern ideas about justice, justice is basically about power. And so what it emphasizes is its its lens to look at the world as it's going to like measure things to, to then bring about justice. Mm. Is it, it's got sort of some hangovers of the liberal in terms of fairness. And it's like, oh, we ought to be fair about power. So mm-hmm. so it kind of boils it down to like, which is actually one of the problems with liberalism when it's separated from from an absolute guide about what makes humans valuable and what what a good life is, mm-hmm. is you're like, well, which things do I have a right to? You know, can I tax you to get a speedboat? You know, like, why yeah. not? I just, it's got no reference point. And postmodernism in a way, like, continues that problem on to a conclusion not the only possible one and there's loads more forms of justice out there these are just big ones and it's like oh well the thing that matters is power because power is how you get stuff mm-hmm. power is how you protect stuff like your freedom like education like lots of the other rights we care about and so if power is the force that is really moving everything around then what matters is is measuring how much power um, people of God, and so a postmodern way of thinking about justice is sort of looking at how much power people have got. Typically, because uh, this is a newer dialogue in in Western politics yeah. and jurisprudence and you know, things like that, is it typically looks at how much power groups have, because it's so complicated to work out how much power Ryan has. Yeah. But yep. I can do some statistical analysis of how much people his age, height, weight, gender, things like that typically yeah. have. So it tends to be a bit more groupy, mm-hmm. which means it can be better at analyzing structural uh, distributions of power mm-hmm. in a society. And by power, often opportunity. And it starts to get it, you know, it starts to actually sound like it's getting a distribution of justice in a liberal or libertarian sense yeah. but the, really the driving force is measuring power that's yeah yeah and and it's got to be said actually just in passing as one little rabbit trail most people are familiar they, they've sort of absorbed a bit of all of these yeah like everyone will probably find within themselves if they were like oh, let me put all the bible stuff to one side what culturally have i just encountered and absorbed it's going to be some mixture of all three yep. because that's what humans are like. We're sponges for influence. Um, uh, so, so yeah, all, all about power. Um, 
it it's really good at well, I say it's really good at. It wants to be good at looking at the powerless, and then its its methodology to make bring about justice is to disempower those who have more power and give that power to the oppressed or the marginalized or the or the disempowered. It's yeah. to try to redistribute power. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, part of the narrative of this way of thinking is that a sort of a battle for power is a sort of um, unending inevitability. And so justice is never done. Yeah. It's just we. They, this is what we have to constantly do is everyone has to fight for more power and people who are being just are fighting for a power in a way that the power less or the less powerful are getting more power and the most powerful are getting less. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a... This is a complicated one, so yes, that, but yeah. there's a there's a rough sketch, right? Yeah, and to to come up to think of one example, um, the first thing I think of is um, I encountered a lot of talk about this sort of stuff, and maybe not so much in conversation. The word justice wasn't thrown around so much necessarily, um, but it's essentially getting at this was whenever I was reading a lot. Um, at the beginning of my studies on this within like disability studies and like Mm. theology of disability and everything. Um, A lot was talked about from uh, this philosopher, um, Michel Foucault, who talked a lot about like the cult of normalcy um, and how that disenfranchises those with disabilities. And this is essentially what he was getting at was the power of the group of the able-bodied, um, that is able to create this this kind of cult in the sen- in a sense of what normal looks like and what able-bodiedness actually looks like to the point that that's what in his mind is creating the actual idea of disability for many mm. and so that's where the power dynamics come in yeah yeah um, who was able to create a culture who was able to create ideas of what people are supposed to look like and how they're supposed to be able to function and what they're supposed to be able to do. And now suddenly that disenfranchises a whole group of people. And so that's what Foucault is getting at is that sort of postmodern idea. Here's what you might see as an irony in this um, if you look at it from a biblical point of view. So think about um, like we emphasized advocacy as partnership when we talked about that, we, we talked about community, but this is a great example with disability because if you go the full postmodern, and actually not many people do, <laughs> um, but if you did, then since redressing the power is the main thing, all of a sudden, those who are disabled have greater moral authority to say what ought to be done to, to redistribute power. Mm-hmm. So it kind of misses some of the community stuff of like the maybe like uh, the, or- the people who are autistic and the people who are neurotypical. And I'm holding up inverted <laughs> quotes. Yes, that's a, a, a term we have. Uh, neurotypical are, um, you know, it, from a postmodern point of view, we've got it like those who are neurotypical ought to have no power. Mm. And those who are autistic ought to have a voice of creating culture. We've got to empower them. Um, whereas the community um, advocacy reconciliation stuff would be like, hey, neurotypical people, you are creating culture 
without and you're missing some of the voices of the community yeah. what if you partnered with these people to rethink what culture should be like yeah right yep so that so that and the, so that's one of the critiques of the postmodern approach is mm -hmm. some of this community partnership and advocacy thing uh, there's some pieces there that are, are missing yeah and 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 it seems like it's going to be really hard for this version of justice to ever bring about reconciliation because uh, and this is well uh, complicated it, <laughs> it 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 assumes power is only forgetting yes not forgiving yeah right so y you have to take away from um yeah. the powerful yeah. the rich the wealthy the the white middle class the you know all those all those things um and because you they also believe power uh, in this narrative is forgetting that's going to count as a harm for them mm -hmm. so the more you redress power imbalance and bring about injustice the the you know if it if it doesn't go well which given people like having power and having stuff it's probably going to one of the harms will be actually a fragmentation of these groups and all of a sudden justice becomes something that's actually a conflict um mm. rather and so that reconciliation piece disappears yeah you know yeah and so that's a yeah if if it's only about power then all of a sudden it's a conflict yeah and and you've set groups against each other and you can see not only does this not maybe take account of community in the right way mm -hmm. uh it sort of might make it impossible to yeah as well so this is so there's uh some glaring things in that area with this one yeah and actually the power things that's worth pointing out is like god actually when he comes to a society and says dudes this is not just yeah that's like richard chapter 2 verse 3 <laughs> translation <laughs> <laughs> um love it then what he often does is goes to the powerful and doesn't say you're losing all your power. Yeah. Sometimes when things get really bad, he does do that. Mm -hmm. He's able to do that. But often his first port of call is you need to use your power to actually put things right. Yeah. So power can be used to serve and to give and to bring about actually, you know, bits of this fairness, freedom, empowerment, like bits of all of these. Yeah. But power, we like power can be used that way, and that's something that's really interesting because Jesus is like, he, he speaks to his people and says like, man, you've got power to like heal, cast out. Like he really gives them a lot of power, mm -hmm. but it's power to serve, yeah, uh, and to to change the world. Like Jesus goes around bringing about righteousness and justice, and there's a power to him doing that. Yeah, you know, and so like you know pharisees in the room with prostitutes over for dinner like jesus is definitely the most powerful person in the room <laughs> so there's something yeah. here that's funky of like if if using power to serve is part of biblical justice just taking any power to make sure those who've got less have it mm -hmm. like it, it's it's there's going to be something it it's not equipped to have a conversation about yeah even right mm -hmm. so that's huge well, I think the importance is recognizing that this is often something I end up talking about when thinking about the authority of Scripture and the power that Scripture should have or, or you know, the power that and authority that Scripture has. Because a lot of times, obviously, you're, when you're thinking about power, you're looking at the authority that someone has, and that's one uh, litmus test for how much power they have is how much authority they have over mm -hmm. a situation or over a people. 
Um, and so one, one of the things that helped me in thinking regarding scripture, but I think is equally important here is the, the confusing nature of power and authority is that there's differences in power and authority. There's power or authority that is intrinsic to something that just naturally comes in and of itself and out of itself. It just inherently has and exists with power and authority. And then the only other kind of authority or power there is, is extrinsic. It is power or authority given to somebody. But the interesting dynamic there is that if something has power or authority extrinsically, then that one or thing who gave them that power or authority is actually the one who has power and authority over yeah. it. So taking, say, for instance, that sandwich scenario in which you have this humongous Philly cheesesteak and I'm sitting across from you salivating, hungry, with no food and no means of getting food, and Amber comes in and takes part of your sandwich and gives it to me, what are the power dynamics in that story? Mm-hmm. Well, it, too many to even talk about uh, in a single podcast because you, to some degree, when it's just you and I, have all the power. Yeah, You are the one with the sandwich. I have nothing. You have all the means to either go get me a sandwich of my own, give me some of your own, something like that. But as soon as Amber comes in and she takes your sandwich, now you still have more authority or power over me, but she's actually the one who, see what I mean? So, and it's almost as if the power that you had is actually extrinsic to you. It's all resides within Amber. Yeah. So the reason why, one of the things that this gets wrong and from biblical justice is that if it doesn't actually hold and take into account God and his ultimate authority and scripture's ultimate authority for all of these things, then it's actually going to miss the mark because power and authority really within any of us is all extrinsic to us and not intrinsic. So it actually can't, power cannot hold any amount or do any justice intrinsically of its own well or yeah. rightly yeah. Um, so it, it, that's why this can miss the mark so easily it's power and authority are absolutely a part of justice but we're not going to get it right unless we are actually talking about those things and thinking about power and authority yeah. Yeah. rightly yeah. and you can't do that without yeah. scripture yeah. And, and actually I mean even thinking of the thing they get wrong like but even within their lens um, it actually equity they get right Mm -hmm. right so if equity is like not everyone gets treated the same but like how much justice you have shouldn't be a matter of how wealthy you are or the color of your skin or whether you're um of the nation israel or a refugee or Mm -hmm. yeah things like that um so this theory is wrong that justice equals power but it does believe that how much power you have shouldn't be a matter of the color of your skin or your gender or so it's very strong on equity, actually, mm-hmm. but just equity about what is the the, the rest of the conversation that yeah. needs to be had. Um, I, I also feel like um, it can be quite good on corporate responsibility mm-hmm. because, and maybe the community part, like because it's well equipped to look at group dynamics, it often can be well equipped to see the other influences beyond individual freedom that mm-hmm. have shaped someone or their context or their choices uh, or possibilities, things like that. Um, and because it's equipped to do that, it 
it can be quite good on the corporate responsibility, which which means it can often be people who think justice is power can actually be uh, well equipped to have conversations about structural injustices and things like that. Actually, might find it quite hard to talk about individual injustices mm-hmm. and individual responsibility. So that's an interesting, you know, as we've moved that libertarian was like very, very hot on individual. This is almost like the other extreme end of the spectrum in yeah. a way, or at least of ones available to us now. Um, so yeah, it gets the equity bit. Um, uh, yeah. So there's a, yeah, some of that corporate responsibility community. So, you know, there we are once again, there's some bits where I can understand where Christians would be like, man, this is great. Look, it's reflecting this bit of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, but we got to withhold saying this is what biblical justice looks like. Yeah. We yep. d- we just have to be so cautious about pinning the word biblical to any of these masts. And, we, and we've covered three and we've already talked for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so much more oh. we could say. Yeah. But we're exampling how to use this, you know, yep. and, and the, you know, the bottom line is that the church ought to be the body of people that act internally and in their dealings with others externally with the whole set of biblical justice so that when society is confused about what justice is, they can look to the church who actually has a prophetic voice and is exampling the way of Jesus you mm-hmm. know, to the world um, rather than as is so often the narrative Christians thinking, well, I want to stand for justice, so who should I vote for? Mm. Like, doesn't mean you shouldn't vote and doesn't mean you shouldn't weigh how do these prioritize, how do these play out clearly in a very complicated way yeah. and come to a conclusion, I think I should vote for this guy or this policy. But having the Bible inform how you vote for something isn't you doing biblical justice. <laughs> Doing yeah. biblical justice is going to be, it's going to involve more and you're going to have to make your peace with voting for someone is always going to be a compromise unless you're voting for Jesus. Yeah. And so it's it's going to be it's going to be tricky. I, I want to mention one more thing actually because it's a hot topic and it reflects actually some liberal forms of justice but quite a lot of postmodern justice mm. and that's critical race theory or crt yeah because <laughs> we haven't mentioned it on a podcast much before but um but i i know it's sort of well it's, it's an interesting thing going on in the world right now and especially amongst christians mm-hmm. and it's interesting because actually the statistics of like people who know about and care about crt are pretty split between like politically Republican, Democrat, you know, things like this. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to conservative and maybe more progressive or liberal, not liberal in the sense of non-orthodox heret- heretical, but you know, uh, just and, and generationally within Christianity, there are some differences and there's a lot of conflict. And we said we want to equip to be able to navigate so i feel like this is a good one to talk about a little bit um because there are people who are like man crt's just from the pit of hell it's the worst thing it's antithetical to the scriptures 
there's it, it, yeah it's just foul we should be get rid of it we should fight for it to be out of our culture yeah but then there are other christians who are like man i love this idea i love that idea actually not many christians are saying i love crt yeah. but they're saying I love an idea and then people are like but that's critical race theory you shouldn't like that thing right yeah. so and actually critical race theory has become a bit of a sh- uh, an umbrella term I think Christians are using it at the moment in a different way than people who are critical race theorists yeah I've developed a lisp while saying that word <laughs> would would say it and if you're not if you're not in on this, like, they'll catch you up to speed real quick. Like critical race theory was an approach to thinking about um, inequalities and discriminations in the law. Um, it sort of began in the 70s at Harvard, um, and you know it's kind of spread from there as a way to to examine, like, hey if we're going to fight against discrimination rather than just saying, hey, you're a bigot, you're discriminating, mm-hmm. we also have to look at structural things that may perpetuate or grow discrimination, things like that. So it's, so it's actually, it it's tends to be taught as a, as a, if you were like, where can I go learn about CRT? Well, do a graduate program in legal studies somewhere. Yep. Like yeah. that's where it gets taught, but now we're seeing things like we don't want CRT taught in our schools. It's like, well, it's not going to be. Yep. But I, so you're not talking <laughs> accurately. But but where the, what's behind those words is, I don't want the approaches to talking about justice and injustice that are a part of CRT to also be the concepts we use when we talk about justice in our schools. Yeah, like that's so it's become a, a sort of shibboleth for those things, right? Totally. Yeah. So, uh, I I feel like this is a good opportunity to do our same thing. We've got our list to be like, what are some of the distinctives of critical race theory? Because critical race theory is at bottom, it's some people being like, man, we want to bring about justice, mm-hmm. like very much the narrative of like what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um. So we can gonna use it you our list on it as well, right? Yeah. Now, this is going to be tricky because I do not have a list of the tenets of critical race theory because it is a very wide box. Mm-hmm. And if we interviewed 10 people who worked in critical race theory, they would probably each have a different list. So we'll have to work yeah. with very big categories here. Yeah. Um, so I would say because we just talked about it, the power thing is a big part of it. Like it's going to analyze structures in terms of who has power. And a critical race theory is going to use racial markers to help identify who may or may not have more or less power. Mm-hmm. You could have critical gender theories, which would be would do the same thing, who's empowered or disempowered according to their gender. You could do age, you could do disability, you could, lots of different things. Yep. But for some reason people care about critical race theory but critical disability theory no one's bothered about no one's talking so, about it and uh, there are reasons for that but the <laughs> podcast is already long enough or we don't want to go into that you can read some books on that one so so that's like one aspect of critical race theory um and and i guess it's got that postmodern twist as well of like the way it's going to solve if we see that oh 
this group are being disempowered because of their race over here mm-hmm. in this arena in uh, you know interacting with some aspect of culture we need to empower them to have more of a voice so they it's a, an acknowledgement that their voice really matters it to solving it we've got to empower their voice to empower their influence so that they can then influence culture and mm-hmm. change things so that's another distinctive of it i guess yeah Yeah, it is. It's hard to. I think another reason why, uh, at least for myself, uh, for me to think of how to talk about critical race theory or give examples of it is because, it's like you said, I I I think maybe what I know of critical race theory even is mostly what I'm hearing from people who are saying, well, no, not CRT because CRT is yes, this yeah. And Ryan and Which, I are fairly well read, I would say, mm-hmm. on like biblical justice and, yeah. and and lots of those things. We're not well read on CRT. Yeah. Because most people working in biblical racial justice, biblical justice, biblical uh, disability justice in the Bible, like biblical anthropology and disability, things like that, mm-hmm. couldn't care two hoots about what's going on like, in CRT. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I'll say whenever I'm hearing people talking about CRT, what I feel that I'm usually hearing is exactly, uh, and, and what they're complaining about are those aspects of, of the power dynamics, which I talked about with Michel Foucault and disability only applied to race, which is, I, I think real, and definitely for Foucault was a postmodern way of thinking. Yeah. I mean, Foucault was a postmodern philosopher. Um, and uh, thought in those terms of power dynamics and things like that, which then there's a whole host of things we could talk about yeah. as to why people are upset about yeah. that idea. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's uh, that that's what I think of whenever yeah. I think of CRT is power dynamics yeah. and um, and and actually because the power thing, I mean, critical race theory, I, I said about the race part, but typically if that's a way you really think about justice, mm-hmm. then it might be to, you know, that uh, discrepancies in power when it comes to sexuality or like lots of other things might also be things you care about. It would be unusual to find someone who was like, man, I think I think CRT is the bee's knees. Yeah. But I really don't care about gender discrimination mm-hmm. or discrimination on the basis of you know, sexual identity or things like that. Mm-hmm. So... Those things tend, if power is your metric, then those things tend to come as yeah. a set. So that's that maybe another thing. Yeah. And and so here's like here's the the way I see things often playing out. Someone will say something about, "Hey, it looks to me like there's a structural injustice in this part of our society over here." Mm-hmm. And then someone will say, "That's CRT." <laughs> And CRT is wrong. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, let's unpack the layers of how that is wrong. First of all, CRT is not biblical justice. Yeah. But it gets some things really right. It's gonna mm-hmm. hit the it's gonna hit the equity bit on the head, but for the wrong reasons. It's gonna hit some of the corporate structural things really well, you know. So, you know, just saying it's wrong is kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Like they're going to make some good observations, but because they're not equipped to put those observations together with the rest of the things they need, 
they're not going to draw the conclusions that biblical justice would and not perform the actions biblical justice would. Yeah. But also the second layer wrong is like when God points to the Israelites you know, in the prophets and says, hey, there's a structural injustice here. And he's not using that language, but that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Are we going to turn around and be like, that's CRT? <laughs> like, it's clearly yeah. not. So so that's the other thing is like, CRT is really well equipped to point to structural things. Yeah. Like, that doesn't mean that when someone then points at a structural thing that they believe in everything CRT does. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I think a good biblical theology should equip us to care about structural injustice. But it doesn't need to come from CRT. One -hmm. of the sad things about the church and Christianity is sometimes cultures ahead of us, actually there's a lot more biblical theology being done about systemic injustice in the Bible, like unpacking that scripturally today, Mm -hmm. because CRT for the last 50 years has provoked us to think more about it in society. And because society's having a conversation, the church is being like, we want to join in. Does the Bible have anything to say? Whoa, it does. Yeah. But that's not CRT influencing our theology. That's CRT provoking a question. Exactly. And, and, and there will be some Christians influenced and some theologians influenced by CRT, but we can't paint with like an eight-foot-wide roller where we just color someone in with a bunch of our assumptions because of one thing they say. Exactly. Right? And... I want to speak to that because, you know, well, I could go on a whole nerdy trail of talking about things of how how other bits of thinking um, or tools influence Christian thought um, and how the conversations that I'm in regarding how early Greek philosophy influenced Christian thought and whether or not that was a good or bad thing. But uh, the importance of at least bringing it up briefly is that we see in, I believe it's Acts 17, where Paul's, uh, um, he's in Athens, and he's l- talking to the people, and he's looking, and he's noticed that there's all of these um, statues and, and uh, you know, monuments and things erected to these gods, and there's even one that's uh, erected and, and dedicated to an unnamed god. Yeah. And then he yeah. quotes these Greek philosophers, in him we live and move and have our being. And for Paul, he's talking about Yahweh, the God of Israel. Yeah. And he's stating that that is a truth and a fact about the God of Israel, that in that God we live and move and have our being. But he's quoting a pagan philosopher that was speaking of, a, of not the God of Israel. Now... Could someone have said, hey, Paul, that's Greek philosophy. You, you you can't do that. You can't talk about God that way. Well, why not? Is it true of God of, of the God of Israel that only in him that we live and move and have our being? I think everybody would probably listen to this podcast and say, well, yeah, I mean, it's in the Bible, right? It's being stated as true of that God. Yes. But that, but one, it was originally stated about a different God, but that didn't make Paul, whatever that Greek philosophy was, it didn't make him a blank. He was still Paul, the Christian, the, the zealous Jewish man who came to know Jesus as the Savior and, and this Christian now, but using s- statements of fact from other schools of thought because he kind of recognized this idea that some of us have uh, cutely started saying, you know, all truth is God's truth sort of stuff. Yeah. If there is something that is true, 
and it just is true, then it is still God's it is God's yeah. truth. God Philosophers is, call it the genetic fallacy. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Uh, you may <laughs> hate someone. Yeah. But if they still say two plus two equals four, it's true. And what makes it true is not who said it or why they said it. Mm-hmm. It's the content of the proposition. Exactly. It's either true or false. So where these critical race theorists who weren't Christians may have actually got some things right about the way things work, we don't get to be mad at them or use CRT as this boogeyman label to now unchristianize a bunch of people for recognizing the truth in non-Christian authors' yeah. thinkings. Yeah. And and we've seen this play out before. Mm-hmm. Like when liberalism grew, especially like into the 80s um, in America, um, libertarians were up in arms. This is, um, but this is, you know, demonizing it, you know. Mm. Uh, and I feel like it's a we're replaying a similar dynamic again. Yeah. And, and as Christians, as the church, if we are going to participate to contribute to this conversation, either by holding like a healthy view of it and a perspective on it in the church or by actually participating and like, I'm going to go to my school board meeting and be like, hey, I think we should teach our kids this. You know, like whatever it looks like, um, we are going to do ourselves a disservice if we look at the three, well, more than three. But if we look at these three available options, libertarianism, liberalism, postmodernism, and be like, well, I'm going to pick one and advocate for that one. Yeah. Right. And especially if we're going to advocate for one because we've seen other people demonize the others. Yeah. Like, no, like that's not going to end. Like the church is never going to step up and bring healthy influence until it stops acting this way. Yeah. Like it's, uh, and we need to do two things. We need to be cognizant of the bits of the jigsaw that are missing and all these different ways of thinking about justice, but also be able to build a bridge mm-hmm. and be like, but you got this bit right. Because that's where the, we, we then enter into conversation and get to bring an influence of like, yeah, but what if there was this too? Yeah. What if we, what if we, ta- I'd love to tackle this with you, but what, but what about this as well? Hmm. And we actually get to bring a contribution. And, and, and that's one of the things that's great. Like none of these versions of justice are missing all the jigsaw pieces. There's none of them we need to demonize. So it is possible to build a bridge with anyone from any of these perspectives hmm. and actually bring influence not in the context of conflict but a contribution a conversation Hmm. so it's like the possibilities are actually great but i i don't see that playing out i see more vitriol defensiveness insecurity you know it's christians are conducting this as a fight um and you know there is a fight for biblical justice yeah but typically what i see is not christians fighting for biblical justice but fighting for libertarianism over postmodernism or any mixture of these three right and so yeah it's a kind of sad state of affairs and to be honest ryan and i are quite sick of having to sit down with people when we talk about biblical justice who say oh you've just been influenced by crt (laughs) like no crt's asked some really good questions and yes honestly that's made me look at my bible better or given me some questions and then i've looked at my bible Mm-hmm. and discovered, oh, some of what you're talking about is in here. But, Mr. CRT, you're missing some of the other pieces and you're, it, you're not quite getting it right. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's going on a lot.
And it's, yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking to see so much destruction when there's so much possibility of actually the church bringing a better influence. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say this. If you're interested in thinking more about kind of what we're talking about, of like um, the CRT and uh, justice and things like that in that conversation, uh, Issa Macaulay, you've probably, if you've been listening oh, to this we've done podcast, a podcast on him before. for yep. any amount of time, you know how much we love Issa Macaulay and who that is. Um, he has written a two-part little article series from Christianity Today. Um, the first one is called The CRT Debate Distracts from God's Justice. Um, and it's really good. You can read it for free over at ChristianityToday.com. Uh, and we'll put a link to it in yeah, the we'll show notes. Yeah, we'll link to it. And then the second one is the racial racial justice debate needs civil discourse, not straw men. Um, and it's kind of his thinking on uh, how much he's had to engage in this sort of, you know, as a as a black man, as a New Testament scholar, as one who has um, kind of gallied up quite a following on uh, Twitter and social media and things like that. And he's obviously had to talk about justice and does talk about justice a lot he's been hit with this sort of the thing me and mm-hmm. Richard are talking about with the whole, well, that's CRT. And this is coming not from his scholarly sort of thing. He's not getting into the weeds of what CRT is, but he's trying to, from a past, from his pastoral heart, say, this is why actually getting in that back and forth between is it CRT, is it not CRT, is just not helping the church actually. Yeah. And we need to be able to move past that discourse and actually on to what is justice? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. just talk about that and doing and, God's and justice. And by the same token, any conversation that's like liberalism is evil or liberalism is biblical yeah. or liber- f- justice is freedom, justice is fair, like, yep. no. We'll bite our lip. We're like, no. It's more complicated <laughs> than that. <laughs> and, and and that's the thing. This conversation needs care, compassion, but like attention to detail matters at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. We have talked for a long time. <laughs> I yeah. we we may even need to we, we may need to release this podcast as a two parter. But if we don't, and you've sat through the whole thing, good on you. Go and have a lie down, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, go take a bath, eat some pizza, yeah. do something. Um, thank you for listening. This is a really important conversation, yeah. and um, as ever, like we hope it helps. Questions, you know, things to talk about. We're always around. Come yeah. come find us on Sundays and chat to us. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.